0: Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Karfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hello, hello, my friends. I am so excited to be connecting with you this evening, this morning, this afternoon, whenever you're listening to this podcast. We have a really special episode tonight because oftentimes you guys come and you come to listen to your breast cancer stories. You come for inspiration. You come to hear experts that we bring in from the scientific field, from the medical field. But tonight, I don't think anyone is talking about... And I keep saying tonight because we recorded this as a webinar in the evening. But this evening when we were recording this, I don't think anyone is actually talking about breast cancer and. And what I mean by that is sometimes there are so many other illnesses or situations or even invisible illnesses that we are dealing with that we don't even realize that we might be living with an and Our entire life, and then all of a sudden be diagnosed with breast cancer. So in this episode, I am so honored and humbled to be working with four amazing women. We have Kathleen Friel on the podcast today, along with Anila and Nani. I'm so sorry if I'm like mispronouncing all of the names, Melanie Contreras, and then also Lucia Currents. As well as in this live recording, when we were live streaming, we also have an amazing support community who is listening in and sharing comments and everything in the chat. So I appreciate all of you guys tuning in for this webinar slash podcast that we are doing. It's really special. I'm so excited to dive right in because a lot of times it's all about breast cancer and we forget about the and that we're living with. Welcome to the conversation. I believe this conversation, you know, breast cancer and dot, 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 right? It's like, we're dealing with so much plus breast cancer. So if you would like to share what your and is, and then also um, high level, you know, what stage of breast cancer you were diagnosed at, perhaps the age at which you were diagnosed and any other diagnostic characteristics that you would like to share, such as triple negative, triple positive, et cetera. So um, just so we know who's on the screen and joining us tonight. So, Kathleen, do you want to start?
1: Sure. Hi. And thank you so much for having
0: me. Of course.
1: I'm Kathleen. I am um, in the suburbs <laughs> of New York City. Um, I was diagnosed four years ago when I was 44 with Meditag. <laughs> Age four, really, and I also have cerebral palsy, so that's my hand.
0: Thank you, thank you for sharing that. Melanie, can I turn things over to you? Um, um
2: my name is Melanie, I was uh, diagnosed with NOVA also uh, stage four last October, so in a few weeks, to be my one year of cancer surgery. And, and uh, I was also born with a hearing impairment. But- a preview. I'll tell more
0: about that later. Yeah, we'll get into that for sure. And if I remember in your bio, was it inflammatory breast cancer that you have?
2: And also in ductal.
0: Yes. Okay. And so I think today is also, you know, out of the 31 days of breast cancer awareness month, there's always days for something specific. I think today is also National International Awareness Day for Inflammatory Breast Cancer. So, you know, something that we can talk about a little bit further with all the subtypes where it's not just breast cancer, but it's, you know, all the subtypes, all the stages that, you know, I had to learn a lot when I was diagnosed. Anila, can we turn things over to you if you'd like to introduce yourself?
3: Uh, Thank you for having me. Uh, My name is Anila. I'm in Minneapolis and I was diagnosed with breast cancer This February on World Cancer Day, on February 4th, um, after a mammogram turned ultrasound and I was diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma, caught very early stage one ERPR positive, got it out six months ago, six months ago.
0: (laughs) Wow. Amazing.
3: And my end... And my end is I also have a few different mental health conditions, but most specifically and the one that's taken up most of my life is trichotillomania, which is the compulsion to pull out hair from your head or your eyebrows, eyelashes, or any part of your body as a coping mechanism for stress, anxiety, boredom.
0: Yeah. Oh well, thank you for sharing that with us as well. <laughs> And if I can turn things over to Lucy, if you'd like to introduce yourself, where you're calling from, and a bit about your diagnosis and end. Hi, I'm L- Lucy,
4: and I'm from Pennsylvania, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer in uh, January and I have um Dr. Horst- um. H H R negative and hormonal positive stage one. and I had a lumped at ep- 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 a million march and I have radiation. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I get very nervous, I'm sorry, and I'm sorry, I had radiation, and I'm okay now.
0: Well, I love, if you're laughing, I love that we can, um, you know, laugh about everything that we've been through, because sometimes we just have to laugh it out, because otherwise we'll be crying, so Mm -hmm. I wholeheartedly welcome and bring humor into everything that we have to go through. Right. Um, you know, and for those of you too, I think I was mentioning before we officially started recording and starting our presentation tonight, you know, really want to create this space where we can have our panelists share their stories. Um, my my plan for the evening is to hear about their lives before their breast cancer diagnosis, to understand what it was like living with whatever the and is. And then also to dive into the breast cancer diagnosis and some of the things that we can learn and take forward with us and remember when we're working with um, other colleagues or other patients and other people in the breast cancer community to hopefully take this new knowledge and sensitivity and empathy when we're working with those who've been diagnosed with breast cancer. Because there's a lot behind that curtain that aren't always visible and you know things that we definitely want to acknowledge. And then with that as well, I would like to open it up and create space for people who are here as attendees to listen. And, you know, you might have a personal experience that you want to share, questions for the panelists, um, something that's relatable to you. So we'll get to all of that at the end of the presentation as well. But I do want to welcome all of you and thank you for being here. All right. So Kathleen, I'm going to go back to to my Brady Bunch squares and start with you again. So, you know, you and I got to know each other, and this is also another interesting piece, right? I got to know all of you because of breast cancer. And likewise, you got to know me because of breast cancer. So I'm glad we're all besties as we know that this is, you know, the, the worst club with the best people, but we actually don't know each other prior to our breast cancer diagnosis, right? You know, a lot of people have met me when I had no hair, you know, that's just what they assume I look like or who I am, etc. and so much has changed after a diagnosis, which we know. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what it was like growing up with cerebral palsy and, you know, the, the day in the life of. Sure. Thanks.
1: So, um, cerebral palsy is because I reached a pretty before birth, during birth or a little bit after birth. And even though most people have the injury around birth, most times we're not diagnosed until we're a year or two old, once doctors, you know, believe years ago, we're missing my So I was diagnosed, it's just for 18 months yeah. and uh, I think I finished and um, back you know, almost 50 years ago um, the world was nice, as welcoming to people with disabilities mm-hmm. and I was really lucky I had no idea at the time but I went to one of the first preschools that had kids with and without disabilities go together. And that English model didn't really exist much. (laughs) So I always grew up kind of believing that I could do whatever other kids could do. And I would get so frustrated when when I couldn't ride. I like, before my younger brother I was yeah, like that's not fair, I'm older right? Like, I had no idea. Yeah. and that's like I was usually oh, I used to always like in school and grad school and all the way I was really the only student with CD with any kind of like movement disabilities mm-hmm. that I do, so, so I've always been getting used to, like, picking things off myself, yeah. and I uh, having people around me that look like me or talk me. Mm-hmm. And, but, yeah, it's not easy either because, um, I, a bunch of surgeries to, to my muscles and bones when I was a kid. And um, physical occupation and speech therapies. We did I whole school the whole like get K off. And um so so I always can kind of know that if I want to improve well, yeah, I need to work for it. Mm-hmm. So, and when I was a kid, I hated therapy. I was say like, it was like the worst. It was painful. They weren't very fun. I didn't think, you know, um, therapists. Um, and, well, but, so, if you would have asked me, I was a kid. When I go into like science, I'd be like, there's no way I would mean, really ever torture kids the way I torture kids. <laughs> 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 then, then as I grew up, obviously, I began to see the good, and you know, all the <laughs> torture, all the meat therapists. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got really interested in, in science. So I reached grad school, I got a master's and a PhD in neuroscience. Wow. And then I moved to New York to do a, a research fellowship. And then I got a position where I am now, but 10 years ago, it's it's an affiliate of wild coronama. It's in it's called the Burton. Not today, most people have never heard of it, but we do, we all do research into some aspect of repairing the nervous system after injury. So my abilities on helping children with CP gain your hand and arm defense, and other labs studies file quoting tree stroke or other mm-hmm. disorders. Yeah. And then so in uh, 2018, we had with so, and then, you had I MBC. So unless you want me to stop there or
0: Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll
1: cross yeah. the breast well,
0: cancer bridge in a moment, but yeah. thanks for sharing your story. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, I struggle with, and I love that we have some parents on the call. So Pat and um, Pat's husband, right? Kevin. Uh, yeah. Kevin on the call, so uh, parents, my mom, Carol is on the call, which is wonderful. I think it's amazing to have family support. And, you know, my youngest brother is um, on the autism spectrum. And one of the things that we always, you know, struggle with is, you know, does he realize his diagnosis, right? Like how do you come to terms with your own disability or where you are in that reality, right? And so, you know, something that you are expressing, Kathleen, and kind of following you through childhood, adolescence, adulthood, and now what you're doing in the, um, for the community through your lab is just incredible. And so thank you Mm -hmm. for that and amazing brains behind behind all of this. Melanie, (laughs) let me turn things over to you. So again, we met not too long ago. And I love that we're across the country, one in Boston, one in California. Um, and, you know, I i would say like you were one of those friends that I met and had kind of that invisible diagnosis, right? Unless you told me uh, what was going on, I i would never know from a Zoom call, right? And so I would love for you to kind of share a little bit more about like your your situation and how this has been with you for your whole life as well. Okay.
2: Um, I was going to Loma Linda, which is in San Magino County. Um, there's a well-known hospital for neonatal care, Loma Linda there. And um, I was 25 months early. My mom went to the hospital uh, earlier in the day. They were living in Victorville then, which is about five minutes from the hospital. Anyway, they thought she was too soon, sent her home, found contractions, and came back later in the day. Okay, we believe you. And they tried to do it for that didn't help stop anything, so they rushed up to Loma Linda. Uh, I weighed less than two pounds, found 13 ounces, was an incubator for five months afterwards. I ended up with a hearing problem and uh, it took a while to diagnose that. I remember my mom saying that the nurses thought I had a hearing loss, but the doctors didn't. So they did more tests and discovered I did. So I started wearing them when I was three. So it's been four years now that they didn't look that. Uh, situation. Uh, doing, I did okay in school, just made sure I sat up front, you know, to hear better that way. And I also took an um, elementary school uh, lessons for love reading for a while. Chef yeah. to come from outside of school to work on that with me. And, and also I know that the last year of breast cancer, but we'll talk more about that in the details yeah. of that.
0: So, when you're family thought you were deaf or the doctors thought you were deaf and it wasn't just like an impaired you know 50 percent hearing loss were you taught sign language or any other like communication skills at that time
2: no I always wanted to learn that
0: sign language but I just know some letters I never
2: learned
0: yeah. much else than that unfortunately. and I'm so curious how can you give me an example like reading lips that sounds like such a skill I have no idea how someone would even go about teaching you how to do that how just <laughs> enlighten me like what would that look like um
2: they would just a few feet across from you and have say words and you try you repeat back what you you know okay. pretty sure what you said so in fact it's still a, a skill
0: yeah yeah and i know up until your diagnosis you were working right can you tell us a little bit about your profession
2: um, yes i was working at um school for a couple of years um just to have part-time lunchtime aid. and then um, i didn't go back to work last year which turned out good in the end because I got diagnosed like a month after I would have started work for two months. So it wouldn't have been much time. I don't know. I was in so much pain at that point. I don't know if I could have worked very much. Yeah.
0: Anyway, so. oh. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you for being on our panel and sharing that story as well. Anila, how are you? It's nice to have you on the call. Um, for those of you who don't know, Anila shared one of her stories um, with her diagnosis and her aunt, um not too long ago, and you are also, you did a TED Talk. I feel like you're like famous. I need your autograph because anyone who does like a TED Talk is like quasi-professional in my book. So would you like to introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about your background prior to your diagnosis?
3: Sure, thank you for that. I am humbled to have been able to do a TEDx talk in Fargo. I would love to get on the big TED stage one day, but baby steps. Yeah. Um, so my name is Anila. I live in Minneapolis. I'm originally from New York. And, uh, growing up, I started pulling out my hair when I was in my early tweens. So I don't remember exactly when, but it was definitely around puberty. And I do, do think there for myself, there is a connection with the hormonal change because it also got worse when I was pregnant with my first son nine years ago. And it really was back then as a, young teenager had no clue what was going on. I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought I was alone and weird. My father was sick with cancer, with leukemia, while I was in high school. And it was just the way that I coped. It didn't didn't have didn't know any other way. Sorry. So I hid because I thought that there was something crazy wrong with me. And then in my 20s, I found out it was a medical mental health condition, trichotillomania, thanks to the wonders of the internet. But that was the early 2000s and mental health mental illness was still very stigmatized. I think that's now changing thanks to COVID, that we're talking in a different way about mental health. Um, but because of that, I still hid. And then just a few years ago, my husband caught me without eyebrows. I had pulled out all of my eyebrows, pregnant with my first son, and I was going into the bathroom to get my black eye pencil, which was my go-to. Nobody could tell because I had learned how to hide it so perfectly. And that was the moment where I shared the secret. And that was the moment where it started to, that secret and the burden started to unravel thanks to just the sharing of it. It was making me kind of sick in the head all of those years prior. And that's that's really the journey with hair pulling. and. Uh, one of the things that I wrote about in the surviving breast cancer post was just this idea of turning your pain into your purpose. And so now I get to work with people like me who have hair pulling, skin picking, and nail biting, which are sister conditions. And I get to help them learn to take control of them um, with a the product I
0: developed. That's amazing. Wow. And how are you doing now? Like, is it still triggering? Is there still There are definite
3: ups and downs using the device that we built. I was able to take control, but then again, with changes in hormonal changes, post breast cancer during the whole breast cancer process, you know, restless, restless mind leads to restless hands is what I say. And so it's definitely been hard, but I've built up a system and a strategy to in the right strategies for me so that I've been able to kind of keep it at bay where it's still, I still will pull every now and again, but then, you know, I'll immediately go and grab my water or look at the time and say, oh, it's because I'm tired and got to get to bed and take care of myself.
0: Incredible that you're able to be that. So self-aware building these tools. um, Yeah. and,
3: And one of the things I loved that Kathleen said was if I want to improve, I need to work for it. And that is exactly what, these mental health conditions really are about is if you want to improve, you've got to learn what the signal is and answer that call and take care of yourself.
0: Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Lucy, I'm going to bring you on the screen as well. Thank you for joining us tonight. And so I just want to commend Lucy as well, because before you even talk about your story, I just know how scary it can be to put yourself out there and, you know, share in this vulnerable space. Lucy, as well as many of our panelists, are part of our Thursday Night Thrivers group. And I think it's one thing when, you know, you're in this support group every Thursday, and you're just chatting and, you know, getting the support and everything that you need. But in this formal setting, um, I want you to know that you're just like Thursday Night Thrivers. We're here to just share our stories and um, put it out there because your story is helping, if not one, thousands and millions of people. So, Lucy, thank you for taking a chance on us. And I would love to hear your story um, about your aunt. Thank you. Um, I have a
4: speech problem and I have had trouble talking my whole entire life and it's been extremely difficult. Frustrating, just so so frustrating, and um, and I um, find that it's been harder since I've been diagnosed with breast cancer because the trauma. Has just triggered me a lot, and I um, and I find it extremely rewarding to work with teenagers who have a disability, and it helps. Need to be able to help others, and I have been doing it forever—thirty-two years—and I can, um sympathize with what the kids are. Getting. Oh, and. The, through because of all of the past experiences I had, mm-hmm. and um, and I also have a learning disability too, and I've feel like I have gained confidence in working with the. Kids and um, and I um, would not want to be in any other profession. And it depends who I'm talking to. To if it's somebody I don't know, um, I'm nervous but if it's somebody I knew a long time or if it's my family I'm a lot more comfortable too and it's just been really hard going to all these uh, doctors and appointments and talking to all these people that I don't know too
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, so important to know something that we've been dealing with from day one, basically, right from the beginning. Um, And, you know, even in Alina's description too, like the onset because of the hormones that are going through puberty, um, something that we had to deal with. And what does that mean when we have to advocate for ourselves in the day-to-day life, which is hard enough? I mean, sometimes there are mornings where I'm like, life is just hard. Like everything else aside, it's exhausting just to like get up and do the work and, you know, put in the time. And then you have a breast cancer diagnosis on top of that. So I'll go in reverse order because Lucy, you were already just kind of going in that direction. Um, How did you find out that you had breast cancer? Was it through a routine mammogram or did you do a self-exam? How did you find out?
4: Um, is it my turn i'm sorry yes please
0: okay.
4: okay um i had um mammograms every october and i was getting ex- extremely anxious cuz i couldn't get an appointment for a mammogram so i've finally got an appointment in december but i was supposed to go in october and i and i had a routine mammogram and they said that i had to have another mammogram and i had the family history and um they have been, um, the um, t- doctors have been keeping an eye on um, his particular area for the past 13 years, and I have had other diagnostic mammograms, and I had... One other biopsy, thirteen years ago, and I had the family history, so I was told back in December that I had to have a diagnostic um, mammogram.
1: Mm-hmm. And after
4: I had a routine mammogram, and after I had the diagnostic mammogram. They um ended up keeping in the, they ended up keeping me in the room for a while and I heard all these people were being aged and they said they were going to have somebody talk to me and I'm thinking, oh my God, I have breast cancer. So even though they didn't Tell me, uh, I'm trying to think. I think she, w- I think she was a nurse practitioner. She came in and she, she said, "If I have breast cancer, but she didn't know if I did, I could, I could." Through my services there, and she started giving me information and started making phone calls. And then I wasn't sure how to get back to my car, and she said, I'll uh, walk you to the parking lot. So I'm thinking, um, she sees something like because she was just extremely nice. Mm-hmm. So I had a um, and I had a biopsy a couple weeks after that and then I happened to get the call when I was with the kids at my job waiting for the buses and I saw that I had a call, so I ran into the bathroom. And and I heard those words. I uh threw my hocker book down on the floor and I had to hold on to the to the sink because I thought I was going to fall and I took up saying, oh my God, oh my God. And the um, biopsy doctor said, Just be thankful that you're not going to die. And I thought, What? So I, I was just in a state of shock, the rest of that. And
0: yes, I can I, and it was on
4: a Friday Friday late afternoon, so I couldn't start making any mm-hmm. phone calls. So I was just in a state of shock for a while after that. I
0: mean, it's for a long time, I'm sure. I mean, I... I almost kind of want to laugh. Why do they feel like they t- to call us on a Friday? I feel like that's not uncommon. They wait until like four o'clock on a Friday to sh- deliver this news, and then you're waiting all weekend, um, and then probably more diagnostics and everything the following week. So, so thank you for for sharing and reliving that because I know talking about when you were first diagnosed is also challenging. Um, but I think you bring up some really great educational points too. That when you go in for your mammogram. There are, there is a difference between routine mammograms and diagnostic mammograms. And in, in my sense, and I'm not sure, and we'll get to the stories of Kathleen and um, Melanie momentarily who were diagnosed metastatic de novo. Um, but because I wasn't having routine mammograms, my first mammogram was a diagnostic. I didn't know the difference in the terms. And so I just thought, They're always taking a crap load of pictures. There was nothing different. Do this side, do the side again, walk out, talk to the doctor, come back, take more pictures. And it wasn't until my routine follow-up, you know, a year and a half later after my diagnosis, I was like, don't you want to take more pictures? Like, don't you want more? And they're like, no, this is routine. We don't do more. Um, But I think just in terms of breast cancer education, that's really important to know that there is a difference in in the the types of screenings and and what they do uh, for a diagnostic versus routine. So thank you for no, sharing that, Melanie. Out. Can I bring you on the screen yeah. for the next <laughs> conversation as well? And so, you were diagnosed de novo. And so, for people who were not who aren't familiar with the term, um, being di- diagnosed metastatic de novo refers to the fact that there was not an early stage diagnosis prior. That right off the bat, when they're doing their staging, you are already in the metastatic setting where the disease has spread beyond the, the breast beyond potentially the the lymph nodes and to either bones or other organs as well. Do I have that correct? Is that what your experience has been? Yes. 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 And so how did you even get to, I mean, whirlwind, right? So like, tell me what, what, what got you to even go and advocate and find out that you had breast cancer? Well, I found
2: a lump and, uh, so my, my primary doctor thought it was, uh, an infection just because it was red and inflamed, which is inflammatory part of it. And then I got antibiotics for about um four weeks, didn't do much. Went to the hospital in October. They did a regular biopsy. They thought that was abnormal results. So they were still thinking it was an infection. So then um, a couple more weeks later came back the end of October and they did a deeper core biopsy and I finally came out positive cancer. And it was already in my lungs. Um, I had a chronic cough for a long time, Chan, I checked out, but my doctor thought they missed an the impasse mammograms due to dense breast tissue, and um, I would have had to get a CAT scan anyways to have the lungs checked to discover it sooner, so I don't know if they would have necessarily done that to go to the emergency room for a chronic cough for right. scanning, but um, anyway, so I was in the hospital, and I was diagnosed um, I got scans done that day a bone scan and um, the MRI. And my doctor tried to reach me while I was getting the scans done so he could call me and tell me the news. Mm. So,
0: yeah. And you said it's been a year since your initial diagnosis? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, oh, day. <laughs> yeah, a whirlwind. And so what has it been like, you know, having does it cross your mind at all? Right. So like you've been living with this hearing impairment and then you have breast cancer on top of that. Has that impacted your perception on, you know, your relationships with your doctors or the treatments that you're getting or anything, or has it not impacted it at all?
2: Um, not too much. I just try to make sure like for the CAT scan, I asked cause I couldn't, it's been seven months since I had a scan. So I couldn't remember, um, I do remember asking about taking my hair and I doubt for certain scans, but for that, they don't need to. But anyway, um, just mainly that's it. So MRIs, of course, you can't have any kind of metal completely. So. Right. right. Yeah. Excellent.
0: And what treatment are you on currently?
2: Um, I'm on tamoxifen, Dolodex shops, and perceptive uh, gen. Okay. So I might be getting surgery later. So we'll see yes. how that works out.
0: Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Weeks at a time, days at a time, just one step at a time. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. All right. I'm going to bring on Anili. So, so you were hiding all of this coming back to your story, right? You're mm-hmm. pulling out the hair and the anxiety and all of this until your husband was able to, to find you. And then you get some support there, right? Yeah. At what phase then did you find out that you had breast cancer? Um so that was very recent.
3: My 40 year mammogram, which was in November of 2021. So it's actually like late 40s, late mm-hmm. like 41, I think I was. I can't do math. I can and can I don't once I've hit 40, I don't remember how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in
2: the I'm, yeah. I'm with you.
3: <laughs> so for the next 10 years, I'll be 40. Um, but it was in November. I did the uh mammogram. And then they said my breast tissue was dense and to go for an ultrasound and that couldn't happen until february 2022 just because of holidays and travel Mm. and then my young son was sick with covid so i couldn't go in for my ultrasound appointment so it just got delayed and that was like first week of february then um By that point, they had done the ultrasound. So this was for the biopsy, I think. Yeah, so many appointments, they all blur together now. Um, So for the biopsy, this was like February 2nd, getting that done. And then on February 3rd, my email service sent me the lab results. And so there I was sitting with like, what does this all mean? And Googling it and keeping it to myself again. Until I got the call the next day from the radiologist confirming everything. And that's when I sh- shared with my husband and stuff because I just wasn't sure I was reading it right. And I just wish I never had opened the email. Um, but that's, of course, what I do to <laughs>
0: myself. Well, make I mean, myself. and now it's check your chart, right? Like yeah. it's all there. And, it's all you know, there. It's getting posted before they can even make the phone calls to notify us. So it's... It- Yeah, it's some ups and downs, some positive ups and and downs for sure.
3: And for someone with mental health history, they should know not to do that. Um, But one of the things that I did realize is you know, a year prior, I was diagnosed with a different mental health condition called premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So, again, with my hormonal cycle, I was um, getting a lot of agitation, a lot of anger, and I was put on birth control. And then I found out that my, my breast cancer was ER positive. So I think the birth control was kind of feeding the cancer and that's how it actually came to be at a stage where they could even see it. So it just, it just, that's just part of my journey. Um, So
0: if you're ER positive, right. And that's hormonally driven. Are you, what treatments are you on now? And are they affecting your hormones? So now I'm on tamoxifen. Uh, I, my,
3: the cancer was the oncotype score and the lymph nodes, the lymph node diagnosis, the results of those were inconclusive as to whether or not chemo or radiation would be, you know, helpful. So I didn't do either of those because I just kind of wanted to wash my hands of this whole scenario. So hopefully I made the right choice. Um, and, And then just tamoxifen as that hormone therapy to kind of Block the estrogen, and then potentially we'll we'll do um like early menopause if,
4: sure,
3: you know first trying to see how the tamoxifen lands for me.
0: Yeah, because everyone responds differently to these therapies, and so the follow up question to that is, you know, if if we're suppressing the estrogen or blocking Mm -hmm. it from those receptors how are you doing and navigating with like the mental health side of that, where it is so tied so closely as you were describing to the hormones is there, yeah. Interaction. Yeah. It it actually
3: seems somewhat steady and I don't know the science behind it, so I can't explain it well. And I, I still have no idea, but my understanding of the birth control was that it was feeding me the same amount, right? Like giving me a steady cycle of estrogen. Whereas if I was just on my, my regular cycle, I would kind of ebb and flow. And so somehow, I don't know, it's Moxfin is knock on wood doing hopefully what it needs
0: to do. I
3: I have no idea. (laughs)
0: Both, right. Like just kind of stabilizing everything. Yeah.
3: Just stabilize everything. And then, you know, through all this whole mental health process of learning how to change my lifestyle. So eating right, actually taking care of myself, Trying to release things from my to-do list so that I don't burn out, mm-hmm. which all of which causes the the noise in my head, which causes all this other external sure. um, activity.
0: And so uh, what you're talking to your doctors then, and now you know you you have this campaign and this purpose of helping others and sharing your own personal story with mental health. When you were diagnosed, were you as vocal and advocating about your own illness to your oncologist, or was it something also that you were trying to navigate um without bringing too many other doctors into the mix
3: yeah I um I think it was still just at that time just so focused on the breast cancer and trying to understand what was going on and bless my husband, who read paper after paper after paper to understand all of the research um. But really, I didn't, I really, after my double mastectomy, I kind of, you know, fell, fell into a deep depression and my sister found a mental health treatment professional and pulled me back up. <laughs> um, and I really needed it at that time, just talking to someone and just trying to make sense of, you know, I thought I had enough
0: pain in my life. <laughs>
3: <laughs> like, but
0: it's surprising, surprising. Um, yes. And it's surprising what we can handle. It is. It is. And I think, you know, to your point too, sometimes things don't hit us until almost like after the surgery yeah. or after some sort of event happens, Yeah, then you hit that wall of like, gosh, I've really been through something. I've been carrying all of this weight and bearing all of this information. And, you know, I, I personally relate to that too. I ended oh. up seeing a psychiatrist and, almost a year after my initial diagnosis, because I didn't have time during the diagnosis to process yeah. anything. It wasn't until, you know, I was kind of, um, the hair was growing back. I was going back to my job. And then I was like, holy crap, I have really been through a lot. I need to talk to someone about mm-hmm. this because I am not feeling okay. So I commend you on, on all of that and everything that you've gone through. Thank you. Thank you. Kathleen, I'm turning things over to you. So you, similar to Melanie, were also diagnosed um, de novo without an earlier stage diagnosis. Tell me about how you found um, your breast cancer.
1: Yeah, it was wild. Um, So I was out of town at a a work thing, and I had really bad back pain. And they go to the ER down in the western Maryland, and um, they saw something, but nobody really mentioned cancer. Mm. And, and then I and was somebody like residents like, oh, well, you probably have advanced cancer. I was like, wow! And then I really like. No no no, like don't worry, that's not true. Uh, like and they I couldn't, couldn't find oppressed mom or anything. So I went back to New York, met my mom in New York. Um and um the pain kinda went away. But it was it didn't go all the way away. So um they could tell that it was like um almost like a hole in the bone of, one of my vertebrae. And so um but that can be caused by a lot of different things that aren't cancer. And most adults with seen trigger develop bone issues earlier in life and Others, because the way we want, like, or at least way out, like, it's not normal, no, no, it's not to get a lot of like unnatural pressure. So, so I really, really mean, like, okay, at 44, I'm getting older, you know, like, we get a, like, that's the thing. Why do they line. always
0: tell us, like, we're getting older, right? Like, that, I, like, I feel like I
1: hear that a lot and, too. And that, yeah. So then um, they I went to um a spine doctor at Cornell um and they did this one of the like bone cement into the hole and they did a biopsy. <laughs> but you yeah, know the doctor's is like, I only don't worry my mom was like well, what if an each country? He's like, oh, 2% chance. Don't worry about it. And so I literally didn't worry about it. Like, the thing was, like, a day, a day, a day surgery. And, um, so I was even thinking about, like, what's the bad so you show Yeah. And then... Two days later, I was just thinking work and we got to college. And I almost didn't hear it. like, oh, they probably want me to pay for me or like whatever. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, uh, Yes. My side was (laughs) cancer. Like, what? (laughs) He's. He was nice because before he called me, he had to set up an appointment with an alcoholic the next day. Yes, okay. I wouldn't have known how to like, get an appointment that fast. And I was like, so, of course, you know, we were offered out. And, um, so, yeah, so then, um, we saw her, at the, and she's really nice. So we we're like, okay, I'm not dying today. Like it's gonna be okay. Like this isn't like the worst. And um, and then there's a whole bunch of other tests to see where the best of you know, cancer was. And they told me that I have this. Dense breasts, consistent breasts. So I'm struck. I'm convinced that if I hadn't had the back biopsy, if I'd gone in after I knew I had MBC, to get them, they would have said, "Are oh, you fine, oh. go. Right. But because they knew, like I ain't me really do this. So, I'm in this room, yeah, it's the ultrasound room, so it's like it's dark, it's like cold and so there's there's like three doctors in there, but at this point they get like two steps away and then they talk as if I can't hear them. Like, why do they do that? Like, it's so dumb like we can hear you. So, they're like Oh, well, we know there's something somewhere, so keep looking. So yeah, and eventually I found an ecologist who, who works close to me who I love. And um yeah, it's been four years, over four years, and I've been out of a bunch of different drugs. Not because of progression, but because after a while I couldn't know, tolerate certain drugs. And, <laughs> yeah, and then you read things, even the doctors say, oh, well, even like these best drugs, they don't let people be Old them for years and years. Exactly. Yeah. So.
0: Exactly.
1: So now, I'm just much is all, And so far... The
0: good news is people are living longer, right? But then I think the clinical trials haven't caught up to, you know, what happens when someone's on this particular drug for more than a year? Like, you know, are there going to be other symptoms and side effects that we have to address?
1: One of the main problems or challenges of my CP is that... um, we never, it's just like a game that we play. Like, if, if I'm 12, I'm doing something like, like now, Like part of my, my thigh is, it's numb. So then it's like, okay, it's that because of cancer? It's it because of the drugs? Or is it because of cerebral poverty? And yeah. Luckily, so far, it's not been more cancer. But I've had so many scans. Because, like, yeah. you always say, like, oh, well, then scan you just to be sure. Or, and now I'm just I'm on the scan for like every six months, like, buying scans. Because they're just like, we'll just put you in there every so often and just be it's sure to be that you're And
0: you bring up a great point, too, where it's like now at this point, because you've been through so much with the cancer and then the drugs and the treatment, plus living with cerebral palsy, it's like, well, then really, what is it and how do we identify it? And this dawned on me because until I had breast cancer, I was like one of those healthy people who went to the doctors. Blood work was good. Everything looked good there was no problems. And now it's like, every time I go, there's some new problem. And I'm like, I don't want to go (laughs) anymore. Like I'm over this. (laughs) Uh, William, I know you had some questions for our community as well. So I'm going to bring us all back together on how do I undo me to the gallery view. Um, But William, you had some questions for the panelists also.
5: Yeah, I did. First off, I'd really like to thank the entire panel. This has been incredible for me, and I'm sure it is for everyone else listening and, and watching in. And my question really had to do with the coping mechanism after a double diagnosis. Uh, what type of a of a coping mechanism uh, who was performing a caregiving for you and, and what was the role of that person? And how valuable was that person? I know uh, Anelia was mentioning her sister um, uh, working with her to to get some psychiatric help, et cetera. But just to throw it out there to the panel, uh, again, thanking everybody for for being on. But what what was the the best coping mechanism for you suffering a, a double diagnosis? So I'll just leave it up to the panel. I'm not going to call on anyone who wants to go first. No, anyone who wants to answer. <laughs> all right. I'll call think- on Amelia
3: then. Thanks. <laughs> I, I can um you know, I think it's it's not just any one coping mechanism or strategy, right? It's it's the confluence of all the things. Uh for me. One of them was my husband. He was my rock through this entire process. You know, he knowing where my mind can go and pulling me back to reality. It, you know, the, the first time I showered post double mastectomy, I of course needed help. I could barely move. And I was crying and he just looked in me in the eyes and said, you're doing great. Like you're doing great. And just, just that, nah. that love. Um, and then, and then my mom, coming to, to help. My kids have been a source of strength. Um, and my, my friends, you know, the moment I shared, the moment I found out, I, I reached out to friends and they all kept saying, oh my gosh, I know someone, I know someone, I know someone. And just that feeling of I wasn't alone was really, really powerful. Even though I didn't really talk to too many other people, um, it just felt good knowing that I wasn't alone.
0: Where's Tish? Hi, welcome. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> anyone else have um? Advice
5: Mel- advice? Melanie, I'll call on you. Same, same question.
2: Okay. Um, my husband's helped a lot, and he continues to. And, uh, and spend time with my parents and daughter. Just, you know, I like took a to lot of sports. Um, football games with them. And I Haven't traveled much lately, but. Uh, we'll do that sometime in the near future. So it's been
5: helpful. Good. Yeah. What in particular stood out uh, with regards to the help from your husband?
2: He's been helping a lot of the housework a lot, so that's been a bonus.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Does he do the cooking?
2: Um, some and just cleaning. So nice.
5: I'm- takes takes a little bit of the onus off of you then. Good good for him. Lucy, you're up.
4: Um my um husband and my daughter who was just on she has yeah. she logged off she, she lives in another state. St- 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 Eight. she is in Indiana, but she did a lot of, of she did a lot of research and um friends and her hers and uh, people at He put a job, had a um, food share and a lot of people were bringing me food after the surgery and everybody was checking in in, in on me and my husband would take me to all my um, appointments He would try to talk, and I had him sit at the kitchen. I was sitting at the kitchen table and giving him step-by-step instructions. (laughs) 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 That's great.
5: So he he stepped up, and he followed those instructions, I'm sure, to a T, so he was a big help.
4: Yes, he was.
5: Very, very <laughs> nice. Kathleen, what was your best coping mechanism throughout this?
1: Um, I think I and It's not just one. I feel like different times I've used different things. My family, and my parents have had huge sports. I'm so grateful, and, um, friends, like, it's, you uh, some friends become closer, and some friends realize that they are not really your friends anymore, anyone, but, um, um, and, yeah, it's some color of they that were, like, good to me, and also, I mean, I know COVID. like there's not a whole lot of good about COVID. There's one of the things that I really have has used a lot is to reach out to people like like you all, like SBC, like other groups where yeah, maybe, yeah. It will be so difficult to get together every week, like in person, but online, yeah, it is, it is peaceful. So I feel like that's also helped a lot. Um, And even my doctors, um, they've been really supportive and really advocating for one of the challenges that I have to deal with is, you know, people who assume that that I'm not independent or intelligent. You know, like, my doctors know me, but, you know, the nurses are all, it's kind of random who you get. And the radiology technicians, so it's kind of random. I've had to deal with some annoying people that way. And <laughs> at first, I didn't even, like, bother my doctor, And then once I told her, and she's like, she's like, oh, my God. And she emailed the entire radiology department. And I was scared. I was like, if this happens again, like, I had to go. I'm like, whoa, well, that's pretty cool. So it's nice my help stuff. step up and make it easier. And my doctors, they're really supportive. Like they've taught my work. They've taught to, to like explain what I need. So, so even, even my doctors, they're like part of my
5: support network. Hmm. Well, I I do have one short follow up question with we sponsor a lot of groups. We sponsor a lot of uh, a lot of support, a lot of community action, et cetera. And we always chat about it. And I would like to hear from the panel. What is one thing that somebody can do for you that would alleviate some of that stress? We'll just go right back through the order again. (laughs) Anelia, go right ahead. You're on first again. Just thinking, one thing.
3: Just one thing that someone can do to alleviate my stress or someone else's. I just want to make sure I'm understanding your, it correctly.
5: Yeah, your stress. I mean, that, it's closer to the bone, and it's it's more real.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the only one that can really relieve your stress is you,
5: <laughs>
3: in a sense, because um, ultimately, I think a lot of it comes down to our, our thoughts. And maybe that's just my personal life is most of my stress is my thoughts. And so for yes. me, it's, it's, it's remembering that my thoughts are not facts. Um, and so I think to that end, having someone remind me that is probably that what I would need, what I need the most. Um, so as it relates to, to my breast cancer diagnosis, you know, I still, the, the biggest thing in my, the back of my mind is, is it really gone? You know, or when is it coming back? Which is mm-hmm. is is the question that I need um, to stop don't, asking,
5: yeah. right? Okay. I need I need that
3: reminder to say,
5: don't, don't yeah. think
3: there, don't go there.
5: Yeah, very good, Melanie. I don't
3: know. Just continue
2: supporting and listening. Um, friends I've been walking with, so that's been helpful too. Um. Trying to walk up, days in the morning, but it's too hot, like at 6 30, it's pretty early. Walk okay, a lot of different things,
5: so. just walk and talk. I'm sure that's very helpful. Yes, <laughs> okay, Lucy. Um,
4: I would say to can to continue exercising, mm-hmm. it helps. I am emotional well being, and I'm up to trying to exercise five times a week now. And it's helping because before that, I was starting to get very deep. Pressed. Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. Okay. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you to go after that exercise, Kathleen. Last. That's you're you're up last for me.
1: Yeah, sure. So, I think I think for, there's such power in just having someone listen to me and not judge and not. I the TV with the yeah, MBC a lot of times. If I got to be about it, and, like still I know it just starts to be nice, but that will kind of reassure me like, oh don't worry, you'll be fine, oh yeah. All that which is like not helpful at all. Yeah. And so, I think just listening and believing, believing us when we say what's hurting or because we people tell me, oh, you look good. so, and then it's like, so obviously you're fine, which is not, not always true
5: thank you
0: thank you oh so much to take away thank you all for sharing your stories um teaching us what we need to learn about living with not just breast cancer but breast cancer and um yeah i put in the chat william stole my last question because i think you know i was curious too it was like what can what not only can we do to help you and our community, but what is it that you want us to know, Mm -hmm. doctors to know, colleagues and friends to know, right? Of, you know, not to judge, not to just assume, not to talk in the room where we can still hear them, like, you know, all these things. Absolutely. Um, We're at the top of the hours and I know this webinar is only for one hour, but I do want to give any of our other um, attendees opportunities if they wanted to just turn their videos on and share or ask questions to the panelists. If there was any burning questions, we'll open up the floor. And if not, that's okay, too.
5: Quiet bunch tonight. Okay.
0: (laughs) Well, I just want to thank everyone for helping us kick off Breast Cancer Awareness and Action Month, Inflammatory Breast Cancer Day, SBC Founder Day. I mean, like so much is going on today, you guys. Uh Um, I really hope that between Kathleen and Melanie, Lucy and Anila, like you guys, and me and William, of course, like are able to stay connected. Um, You know, I think it's really beautiful when we can bring together a panel of amazing, inspiring women to really be the movers and the shakers of, of the world, honestly. Like you guys are going out there, and sharing. So that way, when we produce this on our podcast and on our webinar and in our newsletters, like someone's going to read this and hear it and resonate with it. And if it's not them personally, they're going to hear it, read it, see it, listen to it and pass it on to someone that they know who could benefit from this. So I just really appreciate you guys helping to be the experts in your own experience and really passing
5: it forward. Laura, you had two hands raised.
0: Oh, did I? Oh, I must have missed that. I am so yeah, sorry. Yeah,
5: Ju- Julie and Anne Marie.
0: Where do you see
5: that? No, I, they they pulled they pull them down.
4: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, yeah. I was just clapping. Uh, thank you very mm-hmm. much. stories. No I a a breast cancer survivor too, but I don't have one of those other. Uh, either uh, situation. So I'm just lucky. Um, But it's really um, great to hear your positivity and the different ways that you've coped and found ways to uh, reach out to one another. So I really thank you for this opportunity to hear you.
5: And Julie, you're on mute, Julie, if you can hear us. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) She was applauding the ladies. Okay. We all are.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, I am going to put our event calendar in the chat. So, you know, like I said, this month is very busy. We have some standing programs that we run every month. There's a couple of new programs that we're hosting, such as our webinar series tonight. And I really hope that this is the beginning of many more opportunities to share, advocate, educate, and put the word out there. So... I'm going to take us off of Facebook. Thank you all for listening and watching. So, stop our live stream. And just thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. thank you. thank you. Thank you. All right. So, my plan as always is to like, you know, give me a couple weeks to like mastermind everything and wrap it up in a pretty bow, and I will contact you when the recording goes live.
3: Awesome it was so great to meet you all thank you so much yeah
0: and thank you everyone for listening to our show i would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast are from personal experiences and are not a substitute for professional medical advice you should always contact your medical care team Our podcasts are made possible because of donations from listeners like you. So please feel free to make a contribution through survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash donate. And there are so many ways to get involved with our nonprofit and our organization, not just through listening to the podcast, but through all of our virtual programming. So you can check out all of our lineups by hopping over to survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events. And as always, all of our programs, services and resources are absolutely free. Thanks again and keep on thriving.